The Missouri run defense showed great improvement in week one, but week two, a much stiffer challenge in Manhattan, Kansas awaits. How do I see this particular matchup playing out? Well, this and some more Louisiana Tech observations right now on Locked on Mizzou. You are Locked on Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and the central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball every single weekday. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Just send, just send excuse me, your friends to LockedOnMizzou.com. And I'll tell you, over at LockedOnMizzou.com, you can, of course, find the link to my YouTube page. And I just put out a YouTube exclusive this past weekend, a full film study. It goes about 37 minutes long, just some all-22 footage that I captured on my, yes, iPhone. That's where we are in 2022. Great world, isn't it, in so many ways? And so many ways, a little bit weird, too. But, of course, I'm now rambling here at the top of the show. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. No, we're supposed to be talking about the Tigers. And like I said, upon re-watching this game over and over again, watching these snaps multiple times from that All-22 perspective, I felt even better about the Missouri defense because other than some notable busts in coverage in the passing game, a couple big plays that were obvious. I don't really need to go over them again if you watch the game. But other than that, I thought the communication was really good. Missouri played discipline. Disciplined football, I thought, in the back end of the defense. And, and the scheme overall was sound to me, especially if you're looking for better run defense, mostly a lot of cover three zone. Obviously, that star position with Martez Manuel, Dalen Carnell, closer to the line of scrimmage. A lot more options there, a lot more bodies to confuse run game schemes and just simply put, just to get another tackler near the line of scrimmage. Also, I thought the defensive line was really impressive on film as well. They were getting pressure consistently, and the blitzes that Blake Baker dialed up were effective as well. So, a great start by the Missouri defense. Again, I, I thought that despite a couple busts in coverage that, well, quite frankly, were on probably one player in particular, at least a couple of them, and also just some stuff that to me over the long term is definitely fixable. Now, when it comes to the offense, on the rewatch, there were some things I liked better, but I want to lead with something that made me concerned because upon rewatching this game, I was actually a little bit alarmed by how ineffective Missouri's rushing game was. And by rushing games, I'm specifically talking about the tailbacks. Now, Missouri last year, of course, the, the bread and butter for Tyler Beatty in the rushing attack for Missouri was often the outside zone play. Quarterback, usually Connor Bazelak, would be under center, single back. Usually Daniel Parker Jr. on the right side of the formation, and they would just run that stretch play outside zone, whatever you want to call it, over and over again. And obviously Beatty was effective with it, and a lot of times he would break those for big gains as well. But 
Last Thursday, we didn't really see that. And in fact, I started charting those plays in particular. Now, it did go better to the left side than the right side. That's for sure. In fact, from what I could tell, running to the right side of the formation. Again, this is just my own just very, very basic, hey, was this a successful rushing play or not? Well, running to the right side, and that's right now probably considered the weaker side of the Missouri offensive line, only about one out of seven times was that play actually successful. Now you move it to the left side where Javon Foster happens to reside, and well, it was like three out of five were actually pretty good. So a three success, two fail rate, a lot better than one for seven that type of deal. So something to monitor there to me continues as the season goes along. Is that left side going to be where Missouri gets its money despite that really the right side the last two seasons seems like where most of those run plays have gone. But regardless, even if it wasn't an outside zone stretch play, perhaps you're not a fan of that type of play. Well, when Missouri attempted to run the ball up the middle multiple occasions with Cody Schrader, at least one time I can remember on third and short, Missouri also was stuffed on a fourth and short on a up-the-middle type running play as well. So to me, the offensive line, a little bit of a red flag right now, especially re-watching that. Just not a lot of push, not a lot of dominance, and just not a lot of effectiveness in that Missouri running game. Now, as a lot of people pointed out, and I'll agree with this, I thought Nathaniel Pete. Looked like the better back, looked like the quicker running back, the more explosive back. But still, I think it's tough to really grade Cody Schrader in that ball game. to be fair, because his line just was not giving him a whole lot to do. I'm definitely of the belief that the first three yards, well, that's all up to your offensive line. Because at a certain point, as a running back, you have no chance. Unless you're Barry Sanders or some special type player, 99% of running backs, the first two or three yards, it's going to be up to the line. But then once beyond that, if the line gets you into that second level, well, now it's kind of up to you as the back. So to me, Cody Schrader, tough to evaluate him after one week. But like I said, if Nathaniel Pete ends up getting a bigger share of the carries this coming Saturday, I won't be surprised whatsoever. And coming up, I want to delve more deeply into how Brady Cook played on Thursday night. But first, this episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to spice up college football season. Emphasis on easy, by the way. A really easy way to get going. Easy place to play while you watch your favorite team. Yes, your Missouri Tigers. So, not only is it easy, you can win cold, hard cash in a single game. Underdog has investment backing from Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, and more, and they have always been focused on building superior products for a fun user experience, and also their customer support team is top-notch. So despite the fact this is a new organization, this thing has obviously got the backing of some big hitters, so you know it's going to be exactly what you want it to be. So sign up with the promo code Locked on and underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. So deposit $100, get $100 for free. Go to underdogfantasy.com or find the Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store or the Google Play Store. That's underdog fantasy promo code locked on. 
Get in on college football pick'em action today. One thing my all 22 a film study confirmed to me is that Brady Cook definitely played better as the game went along. And going back and watching it, well, some of that is on Eli Drinkwitz as far as maybe the slow start. It's hard to get your quarterback into a rhythm when you're simply asking him to get the ball out of his hands as quickly as he possibly could. Now, the first three plays are obvious. Those are three screen passes to the outside that didn't work very well for whatever reason. We can blame the blocking, we can blame the play calling, whatever it is, but regardless, when you're the quarterback and, okay, I'm just getting to throw little, I don't know, three-yard passes essentially to my dead left laterals, basically, well, that's not exactly going to get you into much of a rhythm, especially when you go three and out and don't really possess the ball much for the first few minutes of the ball game. But I will say, this just seemed to be a trend as the game went along, especially in the first half. Whether or not it was a screen pass or, or whatever it was, it sure seemed like, especially in the first half, like I said, but it continued most of the game, Brady Cook would look to one side of the field, he would lock on to his primary receiver, and he would throw it to him. And usually about as quickly as he possibly could. It seems like the Drinkwitz offense obviously emphasizes getting the ball out of your hands quickly. So yes, a lot of this is coaching and by design for sure. But at a certain point, there was a few plays in this game where you realized, okay, Cook actually had some pressure. It was maybe a, a deeper step drop off a of play action where he by design had to hold on to the ball a little longer. But there are some really good moments where Cook used some really impressive footwork within the pocket. Now, we all know he can run. We figured that out by now. But not only mobility outside of the pocket and as a runner, but inside of the pocket he had some really impressive mobility too. That's something that, again, you're not going to necessarily notice that. At least I'm not going to unless I go back and watch a snap multiple times. But there was some impressive footwork by Cook. Not only was he he was stepping up in the pocket, finding good throwing windows at times, again, much more as the game went along. And the reason I bring this up is I think by design, I actually think you can let Brady Cook, based on his skill set, hold on to the ball just a tiny bit longer than what maybe Drinkwitz is used to. Certainly more than what Connor Basilak was doing last season, especially in SEC play as the season went along. Because I don't think Brady Cook just has to be a, oh, I got to get this ball out of my hand as quickly as I can. It's not a hot potato. The guy's obviously a really good athlete. Again, can get outside the pocket. We saw how fast he was on that touchdown run. He can really run fast in a straight line, but also... Hopefully he can make some people miss too. And no question, he's pretty good in the pocket. Again, like I said, good step up in the pocket and also kept his eyes downfield on his primary target and made a good throw to a, to a wide open player. But still, that's the kind of stuff I like to see. Again, my point is, in terms of the offensive design and, and, and just coaching him up, the quarterback coach, Eli as well, Let's coach him to hold the ball just a tiny bit longer because I think because of that ability to buy time in and outside of the pocket, he should be able to let his receivers, his explosive receivers like Dominic Lovett, Luther Burden, Mookie Cooper, 
give these guys with some speed just a little bit more time to get open. Because there was definitely at least one time I can think of where, again, Brady just looked locked on to a, a very short out when if he'd have just held on to the ball for a beat, because that player really wasn't open. It was just kind of a robo-QB, I'm going to throw it here automatically moment. But if he'd have just th- held on to it for literally another second, I think he could have seen Mookie Cooper coming wide open down the seam. So, again, I just think with his abilities, with our receivers and their ability to possibly stretch the field potentially, I just think a little bit less emphasis on getting the ball quite so quickly out of his hands. Now, obviously, there's a balance here. You can't just hold on to the ball forever and take sacks. That kills drives, obviously. You can't do that. But just a little bit longer, encourage Brady to come off maybe that first read, at least go to a second read, and then then maybe take off after that. Let's see how that works. Now, I will say, though, considering Kansas State's ability to get to the quarterback with their front four in particular one of their defensive ends is expected to be a first round pick well that might make you think hey gonna have to slow down that defense somehow maybe that's some more sideways passing on occasion and and screen passes which is fine by me I just didn't want to see the three in a row to start the game was was a bit much for me I'm not saying throw away the wide receiver screen completely But also, I just think it's going to be really important for Brady Cook to run the ball in this Kansas State game. I think he's he's going to have to have about a dozen runs in this game for Missouri to score enough points. That's just the feeling I have right now. Just based on everything I've watched this past week, everything I've read, everything I understand about Kansas State, and just everything I sort of intuitively understand about football, I think Brady's going to have to have about at least 10, maybe a dozen or so, either designed runs or effective scrambles where he picks up a, a third down and an eight, something like that. If Missouri can do that, I think they've got a real chance to score enough points offensively. But if he doesn't do that, I don't love our chances, I have to be honest. So we'll obviously have more on Kansas State and Missouri as this week goes along. But th- those are my first thoughts, at least on that side of the ball so far. And coming up, a quick injury update for next week, including former Missouri player Sean Robinson. Also, the the college football world, the playoff, appears to be expanding to 12 teams here anytime now. So let's talk about if that benefits Missouri or not. Coming up right after these quick words. Something I missed at the Missouri-Louisiana Tech game live was that Ennis Rakestraw actually left the game in the second half. Drinkwitz said, got his ankle rolled up on, sounds like he should be okay by the Kansas State game. Also, on the other side of the field for the Wildcats, well, Sean Robinson, who obviously transferred from Missouri, graduate transfer, former quarterback, linebacker, slash safety, well, he was looking to play some linebacker for Kansas State this year, but Going to be out this week, so no Sean this week. That's too bad. I always liked Sean as a guy. Would have been kind of fun to see him out there on the field. Also, their starting right guard, notably, is also out for this coming week. So perhaps there's an advantage for the Tigers against Deuce Vaughn and that impressive Wildcat rushing attack. And it certainly will be very rushing heavy 
you, if last week is any indication, certainly an easy opponent against, I believe, South Dakota. But Adrian Martinez and the Wildcats didn't exactly pass the ball very much in that game. So going to be a lot of rushing if that Missouri run defense is real. We're going to find out. But obviously the back end needs to be really disciplined, like more so than they were at times in week one. I thought nine out of ten times the Missouri back end looked really disciplined to me. But obviously a couple big passing plays, maybe not so much. So watch those play-action deep shots as well. I think that's what we're going to see from the Wildcats this coming week. But obviously some huge news. We're going to 12 teams. The college football playoff is going to expand. We're just not sure when yet. Now, here's the deal. The top four teams going to get a bye. The bottom eight, well, they'll play in sort of the de facto quarter final round. Should be interesting, I'll say that. Uh, One thing in that round, teams who have the higher seed will be hosting a college football playoff game or possibly in a neutral site nearby. Just the prospect of possibly having a college football playoff game at Faro Field is certainly exciting, no doubt about that. Now, to be honest, I do worry about this a little bit. I do worry that it lessens the regular season to some extent because now maybe this is old thinking. I'm just let me take you let me take you through my thinking a little bit here. To me, what will always be the standard for the best college football season until something comes along and beats it, is 2007. Not only because of how good Missouri was, but because of just how bonkers that entire season was and how just seemingly every single week there was a team that would lose and basically knock themselves out of the running for the BCS championship or whatever it might be. Just an incredible roller coaster. But... Maybe I'm just trying to chase the dragon a little bit too much because the last few seasons haven't really been like that, have they? Because on the other hand, maybe this whole 12-team playoff thing actually makes the regular season better. Maybe I'm too maybe I'm just think stuck in old thinking here because too often lately in the last few seasons all we're really arguing about is the final playoff spot, that fourth spot when the other 3 Teams are generally pretty obvious by the time November rolls around. And often it's between the same four or five teams. It's Alabama, it's Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson. Throw in Oklahoma occasionally and Notre Dame, and basically that's it. You've had Oregon in there once, Washington in there once, Michigan State. And gosh, I think I may have just named about all the teams off the top of my head here. That's If you want to be impressed with that, good for you. I'm not sure I got them all, but the point is I was pretty darn close, and that's that's kind of sad. There's a lot of opportunities for teams to be in the college football playoff, but there just haven't been very many combinations yet. So I got to say, overall, this seems like a positive. It seems like, hey, get some more teams, at least the opportunity to get in there. The only thing that I would worry is once you start going beyond this, I think it now you really are, you're totally watering it down. And, and it just seems like eventually they'll probably get to 16 teams. And I just would stop at 12. You know, that's another thing. At least those top four teams, they still have an incentive to keep playing too for that bye week. That is a huge incentive to have one less game to play in the tournament. 
that's a huge incentive. So that really helps too. I just think if you expand it anywhere beyond 12, I think we're really going to have to pump the brakes. But obviously, probably going to be this way for a while, whether that's in 2024, possibly as late as 2026. Seems like that's as late as it's going to be as 2026, but possibly even sooner than that based on a whole bunch of negotiations that are, frankly, way above my pay grade. So we'll just have to see what happens. But you know what? Thanks for making Locked on Mizzou your first listen every day. Now for your second lesson, if you're an NFL fan, be sure to check out the ultimate pro football preview 2022, this eight-episode extravaganza, getting you ready for all things pro football, the betting angles, the local experts. Just search for ultimate pro football preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your pods. So until next time, I'm John Miller, and thanks for listening to Locked on Mizzou.